chapter 4, after Peter and John had healed a lame man, we read, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, 
greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so this morning, let's sing together, In Christ Alone Our Hope is Found. Let's sing In Christ Alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone. In Christ alone, took on flesh, fullness of God in Scored by the ones he Bye. 
Well, if you would remain standing and take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 2, we'll be reading this morning from Titus chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says to Titus, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. And you may be seated. Lord, we come this morning and recognize that you are a holy God and there is much evil that we are born into. God, we are born rebellious and we seek our own way. We seek to run from you. God, we want to exalt ourselves rather than to see Jesus magnified. But God, in your great mercy, you have made a way where there is no way when we have been in rebellion. God, you have granted through the work of Jesus at the cross and through the power of your Holy Spirit, you have granted new hearts for those who would believe and see Jesus as their only hope. God, you've given new hearts that turn from evil and repent and desire to live holy and righteously before you. And so through the work of your Holy Spirit, you empower us to live righteous lives so that the world would know something of the creator, that the world would see something of your glory and your majesty. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to sanctify your people and allow us to make your glory known to this world as we live, not in a desire to try to prove ourselves to you or to earn anything from you, but to make you known and to make you look as great as you are. And so would you Grant your your power in our lives to allow us to live in righteousness and holiness and that the world would not be able to say anything that would slander your name. Let us be your faithful ambassadors to make known Jesus to this world. God, thank you for the mothers that you have granted. Thank you for the gift of mothers and thank you for their role in shaping lives to follow Jesus to make Jesus known through the lives of even the littlest ones. And so, God, we give you thanks for the gift of mothers this morning. Thank you for their distinctive role that you have given to them, that they display in ways even separate from what fathers can do. They display something of your glory. And so in them, they fulfill a portion of the, the tapestry of your divine goodness and glory in this world. And so, God, we look to how you have designed mothers to be, and we 
give you praise. We ask that you would encourage and strengthen those who are mothering little ones especially. We give you gratitude for those who have already done so and continue to uh, function in, in other ways to lead and model what it means to be a woman of God. And so this morning, God, we we look to you and and ask for your grace and your power to allow us all to embrace what you have designed and determined that reflects you and brings you glory in the in the lives of, of the women of Grace Church. So we thank you for them. We thank you for this morning and pray that you would be honored and glorified in all things. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Happy Mother's Day, everyone. We are taking a brief break from Ephesians today to spend some time in Titus chapter 2. There is a life narrative largely accepted that goes like this. You do you. You can take or leave the Bible. Men wrote it, so you don't really need to listen to it. Whatever you think or feel, whatever makes sense to you is your reality. Live it and proclaim it, and if anyone gets in your way, claim protected status and protected class. You get a free pass. Anything, and I mean anything goes, go to the front of the line. Go do whatever you want, be whoever you want, with whomever you want, anytime you want. No one can tell you, you do your truth, don't listen to anyone, except all who agree with you. It's the modern day equivalent of the lie that Satan gave in the garden, questioning God's authority by saying, did God really say? Did he mean what he said? Satan doesn't take things in context. He twists and pulls and distorts truth and manufactured lies. And the hell pit lie says the Bible is fluid and so many people twist it, no one can get it right. But the way that Jesus and the apostles handled the Bible, a literal grammatical historical hermeneutic where words actually matter and God meant what he said, it speaks to every time and place and culture full strength. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We have the 66 books to prove it. Many say the Bible limits and subjugates. The Bible liberates. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. So I invite you to Find Titus chapter 2 in your Bible. Most topics nowadays don't need a long intro, but biblical Christian womanhood surely does today. It is attacked on all sides by those inside and outside the true church of Jesus Christ. It is underserved, undercut, undermined. People are doing violence today to biblical Christian womanhood. We are seeing a demolition of values, many rooted in biblical truth. Women are devalued in the worst ways. The glory of womanhood, motherhood, and girlhood is being twisted and debased and set aside in favor of grotesque distortions. Turning women into men is not honoring to women in the slightest. Men allowed to say that they are women and push real women out of the way all while radical feminism continued to gain momentum from the first century onward, and cracks in the foundation were seen early on, such that by the time 1971 hit, the cave-in had continued, and we read things like this. The end of the institution of marriage is necessary for the liberation of women. It is important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands. All of history must be rewritten in terms of oppression of women. Annie Laurie Gaylor's article, Feminist Salvation, said this, let's forget about the mythical Jesus and look for encouragement, solace, and inspiration from real women. 2,000 years of patriarchal rule under the shadow of the cross ought to be enough to turn women toward the feminist salvation of this world. And famous feminist Gloria Steinem said this, by the year 2000, we will, I hope, raise our children to believe in human potential, not God. That is now a sad reality. 
You're going to choose who you will believe, and many have chosen to believe lies, and there are multiple attacks on God's design for humanity. There is anti-God idolatry that has spawned blasphemy. The Cambridge Dictionary has changed the definitions of man and woman to include people who identify as a gender other than their biological sex. Redefining God's gift is harmful and untrue. And we and our children and our grandchildren are affected whether we realize it or not. We're not trying to pick a fight. The fight came to us, and we must answer wrong with right. The Bible delineates between wrong and right. And yet, many Christians say they want to obey God, yet they adopt divergent views and a, what I would call, have-it-your-way religion. So we desperately need accurate biblical answers. Parents know how, need to know how to equip their children in a world system that is just pounding lies into pliable minds. And praise God, the scripture is authentic and authoritative and conscience-binding. It is perfect, it is sure, it is pure. And if Grace Church is known for anything, it is known for loving truth. Loving the truth. Loving Jesus the way, the truth, and the life, and loving the word that he gave us. The Genesis chapters 1 through 3 onward speak of the women's roles and worth and personhood. That the Bible raises the value of women even as it landed in a culture that devalued women. That God turns damaging social constructs on their head and sets things right. And if only we would hear him. So let's listen today to Titus 2. I'm going to address the verses addressing men on Father's Day. But today on Mother's Day, I want to address the verses addressing women. Titus 2, verses 3 to 5. It doesn't, obviously, it does not say all that there is to say about women, but it's an important part, and it's a good place to start. We're talking today about biblical Christian womanhood. It's not a myth. It's not an 18th century social construct. It's not the subjugation of women by nefarious motive men. It is biblical, God's sovereign design, his idea, his creation. It is Christian, it's for Christians, God's sovereign salvation, his gift given to those he possesses and then preserves. And it is womanhood, womanhood, God's sovereign designation. If you're a woman today, you are designated a woman by God. And that is uh, you know, radically God's design, is to receive as God's gift because it reflects God's glory. We're in Titus. Titus's themes are salvation and sound doctrine and good deeds that are flowing from a relationship with Jesus. Titus really portrays a deep love for Jesus that is seen in daily engaging in good deeds that God uses for his glory. Titus begins like this in Titus chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. That God's word gives sound, healthy doctrine and biblical truth produces healthy lives. And even in chapter 3, this is just anchored in the gospel. He says in verse 4 of chapter 3, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
Now back in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has Paul tell Titus how men and women are to be. That God makes distinctions between men and women, and together they reflect the glory of God. And how does biblical Christian womanhood display the glory of God? Here's what we see in, in these few verses. In, in, chap, in chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, we see that Christian womanhood looks like living a godly life and learning from and leading others. Loving Jesus, loving his word, loving others. And what does that mean for the women of Grace Church of Orange? As we go through this passage, as we work through it, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see really two primary ideas, two primary points, but I'm going to also give you nine applicational encouragements, nine of them, and if you're taking notes today, I will repeat myself. So two main points and then nine applicational encouragements and interspersed. And the first point we see, it's in verses 3 and 4. Older women must live a godly life and lead younger women. Look at verse 3. Older women likewise, in like manner, as the men have just been instructed. Older women likewise are to be reverent. Reverent means suitable to holiness, to literally be temple-like, engaged in sacred duty and service. It's the idea that you would carry into your daily life the demeanor of serving Jesus. But it says that the women are to be reverent in behavior. Your demeanor, your deportment. And what it does, it describes a state of mind. Not just what you can see in terms of actions, but an actual state of mind. Like the general attitude of your life. Reverent in behavior. I'm serving Jesus. Who's an older woman? I'm not going to, you know... Point out who's the older women here and who's the younger women. But in this context, in this context, older women are those whose children are now grown. That raising a family stage of life is behind them. These are those with no more child-rearing responsibilities. And the older women are to have reverent behavior, reverent attitude of their mind. I was trying to come up with an illustration, and I don't know if this one is a good one or not, but no one came up after me uh, after first hour and told me that it was, you know, very inappropriate, so I'm going to use it. Um, if I could, you know, how do you explain, what does it mean to be reverent in your behavior, you know, as you live this life? And I kind of think of it this way, is the difference between a house, a helpful household utensil or, or a, music, a museum piece. Like, it's not, we're not talking about being muse, museum pieces that are just perfect and, you know, Nobody can be as perfect as that. What we're talking about is just imperfect dependence on God and being a living, breathing, honest, helpful model of good deeds. That moment-by-moment choices are crucial. And they're, they're very crucial because look what it says. In terms of reverent behavior, now it stipulates two things. Not slanderers. Every time you see something in the Bible that says, don't be this way, it's not because no one was that way. People struggle with these things. Not slanderers. The Greek word is diabolos, where we get our word diabolical. It's a word used over 30 times in the New Testament to describe Satan who slanders us. The idea is that women are not to be devil-like. They're not to be the one, you're not to be the one who promotes or thrives on prompting quarrels and fights and contentions and dissensions. You're not to be a slanderer. But you're also not to be slaves to much wine. And it emphasizes here, slave to much wine, emphasizes a fixed condition of life, like you're stuck in it. 
that consuming alcohol is a way of your life and you must have it and you won't or you can't give it up. Don't be slanderers and don't be slaves to much wine. If you're going to be reverent in your attitude and in your behavior, don't do those two things. Proverbs 20, verse 1 tells us this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Here's what we do. We never think we overdo it. We think other people are, are, are controlled by it and, and drunk by it. We, we draw the line far away from us. Proverbs 20, verse 19 says this and hits the slander. It says, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a gossip, someone who simply babbles with their lips. Now, if you think with me, if you will, of the will of God, this is the will of God for, for older women to be to be um, reverent in their behavior, their attitudes, not slanderers, not slaves to much wine. Now, this does not mean that if you're saying, well, I'm a younger woman, so I can do that. No. <laughs> okay, because you're to be taught not to do that by the older women. So, so the idea is this. If you think of the will of God as a bullseye, that there's a target and there's the bullseye, and you want to hit the bullseye, and some people, and most of the time we hit somewhere on the target, right? But some people miss the target completely. Like, they're just out there. And so some people have an addiction to whining about others and drinking wine. And this is what this is saying is, this is out of bounds for a woman who claims to be godly. Some want to whine about life as they drink wine throughout life. The world says, go for it. God says, no, don't do that. And by the way, I have always, I'm always praying that when, when I preach the word, it'll just land however it, it, God wants it to land on whatever heart God wants it to land. And, and if, if, there, if you realize, uh-oh, and, and you need an attitude or action adjustment, well, see Jesus to repent. See Jesus about that. Or maybe someone you've hurt. See, see, see them and, and, and repent of it. And let me give you the first applicational encouragement here. We need to emphasize character and conviction. Character and conviction over everything you're supposed to do. You notice that it's reverent behavior. Now, the lure of the world is going is to try to you know, captivate you and get you caught in error. But every time you prioritize roles over character, you can get in big trouble. We're talking here about the heart. We're talking here about character over role and function. Being more than doing. So don't elevate role over character. Don't elevate commands over Christ. Reverence for Christ is a reflection of your heart. And you'll notice that it says that the older women are to teach what is good. Literally a teacher of good. Now this is not formal instruction. This doesn't mean that every woman needs to stand up on their platform and, and teach uh, the younger women. It means that they give advice and encouragement privately by word and example. That the godly woman lives and gives God's word even as she faces pressure to do otherwise. There's a lot of pressure today to force certain passages of scripture to say what they do not. I heard of one church just this week that forbids teaching from certain passages of scripture because they don't want their people in those passages of scripture because they might go, uh, you know, different to their twisting of that passage of scripture. This is the church that's twisting it. What's radically biblical is just show what is good. And you reject error and stay away from half-truths and teach what is good in private 
in word and deed. And, to do, and, and as you do that, verse 4 says, and that's how you train, literally teach someone self-control, to train someone in self-control, that's how you train the younger women. So the first idea here is older women must live a godly life and lead younger women. And the second idea, you see it in verses 4 and 5, is that younger women must live a godly life and learn from older women. Now this assumes the older women are in relationship with the younger women. That they're connected, that they're spending time together. That mentoring should happen and as Christian women do what Christian women are to do and they lead and learn. And what are they to be taught? They're to be taught to love their husbands, husband loving literally, and children, children loving. Interesting development in the first century was Roman Emperor Augustus uh, was concerned because the royals were disinterested in having, having kids and having families. And the Roman nobles, you know, they weren't passing on the, the family line there. And so Augustus literally passed a law that you would be penalized if you didn't marry and have legitimate children. Now the believer says this. The believer says, I will, be, I will get married if this is God's intent for my life. If, if God blesses me with children, I will receive them with gladness. But God does not ordain or intend for every woman to marry and bear children. To each as God assigns and enables. God's gift of singleness is not inferior. But this is to married women and moms. And you apply it, you say, okay, loving, well, what do you say to, or what do you say about your husband and kids? Because it reflects your heart. And how do you choose to act towards them matters. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another. Love is from God. So our sacrificial choosing love reflects God's sovereign choosing love. It's seen as you live in a loving manner and pray and adorn the doctrine with kind words and God's word. Among the many blessings of 32 years of marriage is that Angela has never complained about pastoral ministry demands. Never once. I've, I've gotten many numerous I've gotten numerous emergency calls in the middle of the night, and she helps me get out the door quicker than I would. Loving your husband and loving your children. And then it says in verse 5, to be self-controlled and to be pure, literally chaste. And it's interesting about the self-control. Younger women are not the only ones that are, are, are spoken in this way. I mean, the older women are not supposed to be slanderers or addicted to much wine. So there's a self-control that needs to be present. And, and it's commanded for elders in chapter 1, verse 8. Be self-controlled. Older men in chapter 2, verse 2. And all believers in chapter 2, verse 12. Everyone is supposed to have this spirit-generated self-control, which is restraint over your own impulses and emotions and desires. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A person without self-control is like a city broken into and without walls. No defense. Self-control is a wall of protection in your life think about it how about your time psalm 90 verse 12 says lord let us number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom we will give an account for how we have spent our time or how about your words ephesians 4 29 says let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it would give grace to those who hear or how about your body 
Are you worshiping it or abusing it or fixated on it? Or are you treating it as the temple of the Holy Spirit? This verse goes on. That the older women are to teach the younger women to be self-controlled, pure, and working at home. That literally means doing domestic deeds. Literally means housekeeping. Now, if you get this, uh, what was it like in, in first century uh, Judaism? Here, here's what it was like, okay? If you were a married woman in the Jewish household, you would need to grind flour, bake, do the laundry, cook, nurse children, make the beds, spin the wool, keep the house, be responsible for hospitality, and care for all the guests. There's an interesting verse over in 1 Timothy 5.14 that speaks of women keeping house. And when you break it down, here's what it literally means. Rule a household. Be the head of household. Well, the idea is, is head of household as it pertains to making sure the household keeps running. The idea is workers at home, literally home workers, where keeping a godly home is a Christian woman's non-negotiable calling. Sadly, some people do not see that as essential. Now, it doesn't say anything is wrong to work outside the home. It doesn't say you can't work outside the home. What it says is the home must be the priority. But how exactly does it look? Like, what does it look like? Well, I'm here to tell you it could span the whole range of Proverbs 31 activities. And I would say if, if we're going to give a picture of it, it's more a moving target than a fixed standard. That there is nothing specific stipulated here. That the outworking of this calling looks different in every time and culture and place, in every context, even according to someone's capacity. And that the character of those filling this role is more important than the specific actions and outputs. And what does that mean if you're an older woman teaching the younger women? I think you need to be very careful then what you think and practice or teach others in this area. I think the question that the young woman should ask is this. Is my home a safe house or a hornet's nest? You care for your household by caring for your household which really leads to a second applicational encouragement, not only emphasizing character and conviction, but actively helping younger generations. Like, who's helping you? Who are you learning from? You know, there's a notable Grace Church example. A lot of mentoring is happening among the women. The disconnect comes in if the older are not in the lives of the younger in everyday ways, where you need to take and make time to actively help young, younger generations. Which leads to a third applicational encouragement. Number three, beware forced conformity. Like, this is what it must look like. Don't let anyone force you into thinking that every Christian woman has to bake their own bread, knead their own dough, sew their own clothes, and use only cloth diapers. See, extremes are attractive to many but it can lead you away from love of Christ. Legalism. It's where you, we, we, move, we move the bullseye to us and our choices. Or license, where we say, do whatever, it doesn't matter. And both of those extremes exert a lot of pressure on women. Legalism and license, and both miss the mark. And really, legalism and license is saying, I'm trying to be my own savior. I can do it exactly like I'm supposed to do it, or who cares how I do it? 
But if you're loving Jesus and loving his word and loving others, what you'll realize is it's not one size fits all. Let me give you some examples. Take preaching for an example. If you put 15 preachers up here and they're all gifted preachers and they all will handle the word accurately and you all give them these verses, you'll get 15 different sermons, all that can be used and blessed by God. Talk about spiritual gifts. As we steward the manifold grace of God that is given to every believer, that you have a spiritual gift or gifts. Take the gift of hospitality. Let's say you have the gift of hospitality. It doesn't look the same in everyone's gifting. You have 15 people with the gift of hospitality. It's going to look different each time. Now, guidelines and limitations give freedom. Expectations must be clear. And so you can't say this is exactly the way it is. You have to beware forced conformity, but you need to realize that limitations give freedom. For example, this passage is so freeing. So, well, I know exactly what I can do. Be, be, uh, desire to be self-controlled. Desire not to slander. Desire not to be addicted to much wine. I, I can do that. I can love my family. I can do this. In, in Christ's strength and for his glory, God will give me the strength I need to do my calling. But expectations must be clear. Guidelines uh, give freedom. Limitations give freedom. I remember growing up in Downey, and all the schools had fences around them. The whole schoolyard was filled in the fence. And so as kids, we could play in the whole schoolyard. Then in 1992, Angela and I moved to Irvine. And we realized right away, uh, and it looked better actually, is that the schools didn't have fences around them. The problem with that is that the teachers had to say, you can't go past that, that tree over there. And so you didn't get as much freedom. See, when there's a limit, when there's a standard, you have more freedom to roam. It's, it's like parenting. When kids are running wild... They're begging you to discipline them. And it's like a job description with, that, that doesn't exist. You know, a, a job without a description is frustrating. I remember in 1980, I got a job at a supermarket right out of high school, and they didn't tell me what to do or who to report to. It was very confusing. I, I quit within weeks because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I couldn't get an answer. But beware forced conformity. It's, it's like this. Love Jesus. Do as you please within the guidelines of the beautiful boundaries and freedom of God's word. That's what the calling entails. Which leads to a fourth applicational encouragement. Number four, reject unhealthy comparison. That biblical Christian living is not just filling in the blanks. Like some people, you think that they live their life like this. I must wake up at this time every day and do this much Bible reading and then do this, that, and the other and post it all online before 9 a.m. so everyone can see me. And the question you have to ask is, why do I have the need to post that up? Is it happy sharing or is it validation? And what happens when people see all of that and you're so perfect is, well, people feel like they don't measure up to you. And there's this competition, and there's this comparison. Well, my life is valid because people like me. Where you're like Bob Wiley on repeat. I feel good, I feel great, I feel wonderful. And you look to Christ, live your life under God in a non-comparing, non-competitive community where you reject unhealthy comparison, which leads us to a fifth applicational encouragement. You need to choose wisely. Choose wisely. Be, be wise. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Love Jesus. Seek wise counsel. Not just from people who agree with you. you know, think about it. Who, who are you being influenced by? Who has influenced your idea of womanhood? Seek advice from those you trust. 
a lot of people will say, well, any online influencer will do nowadays, always Google it. No, you need to seek advice from those who are trustworthy, and you make micro decisions with wisdom based on the macro teaching of Scripture, because everything isn't stipulated. I tell couples when they're getting married, don't let everyone stipulate your every move. What you're going to eat, what you're going to do, what you're gonna, how you're going to serve, how you're going to discipline your kids. Now, the, the Bible specifies what it specifies, but God leaves room for nuance and application. It's not anything goes, and it's not do exactly as I say. It's, again, love Jesus, do as you please, in community. You have no license to go outside the bounds of Scripture, but you have liberty to love the truth, make decisions, and then live with a clear conscience before God and man. As you notice, verse 5 says, be kind and submissive, and now we get into other deep waters. You know, we already hit the... Uh, working at home, and now we've got submissive to husbands. I was doing premarital counseling once, and the bride-to-be said to me, um, if you mention honor and obey, I will walk off the stage. I already knew they were in trouble. Kind and submissive. I think they go together. <laughs> kind and submissive. It literally means in subjection, ongoing state of holding yourself under the authority of another. Kind and submissive to their own husbands. Not to everyone else's husband, your own husband. Ephesians 5 talks about it. First, First Peter 3 talks about it. It's not something for a husband to demand. This is where you voluntarily submit to Christ and then fulfill the role that God has given you. And, and I'm just going to tell you, rebellion is a deceptively sticky spider web and those caught in it get stuck choose wisely with wisdom and a sixth applicational encouragement women you need to embrace the beauty of how god has designed you with all the pressure right now god wants you to enjoy him and experience the pleasure of doing what you were made to do it, it outweighs the self-denial it takes to embrace it that you realize as a believer wow i have a new set of values and that the two genders God made in his image are good, and, and you know a woman is to respect her husband. And the world tells you, you fight against that kind of oversight. But God gives roles based on creation and gifting that are just beautiful in their outworking. The world, the flesh, and the devil tell you, oh no, that limits you. But you know the truth. You can rise above that and live the truth. Be free to serve Jesus with a whole heart and free to see the beauty of doing what you were made to do. Like women, embrace the beauty of how God designed you. That leads to a seventh applicational encouragement to the men. Men, cherish the God-given design of women in their personhood and roles. Don't undercut, don't undermine, don't undervalue. Love women for their unique life that reflects the glory of God. That God has gifted and created them different than men. And you can see God's glory uniquely in them. That you need to encourage their gifting and assist them to proclaim God's goodness. That the world, the flesh, and the devil, men, will tell you that women are to be used. You know different. They are to be protected and loved. The world, the flesh, and the devil will tell you that women are to serve your needs. You know different. You must serve and lay down your life. 
The world, the flesh, and the devil will tell you women are objects. You know different. They are objects of God's love to be treated with utmost respect. You notice as we follow along in these verses, it progresses to a conclusion at the end of verse 5. Start in verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. There's the reason. It's for the glory of God that the word of God may not be reviled, literally slander or spoken lightly of this sacred word, to be blasphemed. No, but you know, if a Christian claims to, to believe God's word but will not obey it, will explain it away, will make it fit what they want, God's word is dishonored. God's word is mocked by those who claim to believe it but really do not and only believe a version that fits a, a warped worldview. Do not give an occasion to slander the faith. The purpose of godly attitudes and conduct is to bring glory to God and ungodly conduct stains God's reputation. See, the unbeliever needs to see something redeeming from the lives of the redeemed. They need to see a life pleasing to God. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then an eighth applicational encouragement Number eight, rejoice in role contentment. Many churches have answered the error of agendas forced upon the church, and rightly so. But I realize it is possible in answering those errors that it may give the impression that it's all about prohibitions rather than the glory of womanhood being a gift from God. And just know we are imperfectly engaging a fight that came to us as we imperfectly live the faith. But there are gender-specific roles and there are things any believer can do. And all of it is primarily focused on the positive. Elder qualifications, for example, are focused on the positive. It clearly says it's a role for qualified men. Not all men, qualified men. There isn't a lot in Scripture that God says women cannot or should not do Except, of course, sinning, whining slander and overdoing wine. Don't do that. Those are clear prohibitions. There's clear prohibitions in the Bible against sinning while defending womanhood from those who would diminish it, even by you know, people pushing women into roles God never intended. What we must do is show the glory as well as celebrate how good and kind God's freedoms and boundaries are. That we would rejoice in role contentment. And then the ninth applicational encouragement. Number nine, be shaped by the word of God, not your own mind or the world. There are people who read the Bible and think they're being held back due to what God says regarding their role. But most women I run into rejoice and agree when they read the Word of God. The talking points that have been force-fed by many alluring voices 
tell lies to any who will listen. Rachel Held Evans wrote a book, A Year of Biblical Womanhood, where she mocked the Bible. There was a book, a more recent book called Biblical Womanhood that trashes the Bible and says that men have subjugated women. And these kind of things are pushed upon and accepted in the church by the weak and the vulnerable and the unsuspecting. And we are in a battle for the hearts and minds of our young women and our older women for that matter and our older men and our older and our younger men. And we should care. We should care deeply about this and we should give a gentle answer, a firm answer. We should be sensitive to those who are struggling, but we should tell the truth. We should tell the truth in love. We need to highlight and praise the roles of women and answer divergent viewpoints with straight-up biblical truth. Because God's glory is seen when we embrace our biblical identities and roles. And the glory that is seen when you embrace your biblical identity and role is so much greater and fuller than the thin, empty ideas that this world has to offer. See, the whole church needs the whole counsel of God. We need to handle Scripture accurately, deal sensitively with perceptions that can become narratives, which can become fixed opinions, and just know, hey, we won't navigate it perfectly, but we desire to be faithful and true to the Word of God. That's why we need these applicational encouragements. Emphasize character and conviction. Actively help younger generations. Beware forced conformity. Reject unhealthy comparison. Choose wisely. And women, embrace the beauty of how God designed you. And men, cherish the God-given design of women in their personhood and roles. And rejoice in role contentment. And be shaped by the word of God, not your own mind or the world. See, these, these three verses, they tell us something. They tell us older women must live a godly life and lead younger women. Tell us that younger women must lead a godly life and learn from older women. And we're bound by what the text says, not free to bind other consciences by what it does not say. And I know this, that depending on who you are, how you're wired, God-given capacity that you have, or who you listen to, you may feel burdened, resentful, uh, under a load of expectations, or maybe, hey, I can do whatever I want. But let me just say this, as you learn from others and as you lead others, women, as you learn from others, filter what you hear. As you learn, filter it. Test it by God's word. Don't trust your own mind. Trust loving believers who maybe in a certain circumstance are more objective than you. Some advice you're going to get will make you feel better, but it won't point you in the right direction. And as you lead others, be careful what you say. Be careful what you say because your advice will be taken. Some are going to hear what they want to hear. They'll leave a discussion with you and have a less than accurate understanding of what you said. I mean, the world is telling women to be conformed to, to the world's definition or lack thereof of a woman. But what happens sometimes in the church? Sometimes the church world often tries to do the same. You need to be conformed to how Christ defines womanhood. I will say this. It makes me sad, but it's true. Based on the advice that people tell me they have received from fellow Christians, we have work to do to be more biblical and less man-centered. God is in control. The Holy Spirit gives us insight. But I want every woman at Grace Church of Orange to know this. 
the pressure is off. Everything isn't stipulated in Scripture. You just love Jesus and do as you please because you'll be pleasing Jesus. Do it within the, the bounds of Scripture that you are free in Christ. You need to know this. You are free in Christ. You are free in Christ. Unless you're not. The gospel tells you and I that we cannot save ourselves, that we cannot work our way to heaven, that we cannot ignore Christ's claims. And we must grapple with them as we live in the presence of the one with who, to whom we will give an account. It is appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So don't, don't die in your sins. Christ died for your sins. He took your place so that you could be with him in the place that he is preparing. So come to Christ. If you don't know Christ, you're not in Christ. You're not free. Come to Christ. Turn from your sins. Trust in Christ. And your identity and your roles in life will, will get clarity. You have a new biblical lens by which to navigate this world, and you have lots of family to journey with along the way. Biblical Christian womanhood is not a myth. It's not an 18th century social construct. It's not the subjugation of women by nefarious motive men. What it looks like is living a godly life and learning from and leading others. It's, it's radically God's design. It's to be received as God's gift. It reflects God's glory. Christian womanhood, it's a beautiful, amazing calling. And God uses that calling to display his glory through his creation. So ladies, let that calling be what drives you to find your refuge and, and your identity in Christ. And gentlemen, cherish women as a worthy reflection of God's glory. Love Jesus. Love his word. Love others. Let that be your life narrative. Well, Lord, thank you that we can come and open your word, hear it, think about it, see what it, what it says and how it might lead us to live. Lord, we pray that we would be pleasing to you, that we would be glorifying to you, that our thoughts and our words and our actions would reflect your glory. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to the Lord's table, and it is a table that is for the believer who is free in Christ. It is for the believer who has yielded their life to Christ, that they have said, I can't save myself, only Jesus can save me. And... It's not for the unbeliever. The Bible says if you eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. And what that means is that you are uh, not doing it in accordance to its worth. Its worth is that for the believer, you say, wow, this is reminding me that Jesus died for my sins. And I came to faith in him. He saved me in my sins, forgave me, made me a new person, gave me a new set of, of, of marching orders in life, in the word, and, and Jesus gave us this to remember him by, together as a church. And so we come to this table, and Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, when he was going to the cross, he said to his followers, and if you're a follower of Christ, this is for you. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And Lord, we thank you that we can come and remember you again and again with your gathered body to remind ourselves that we are not our own. We belong to you. You have purchased us with the great price of your precious blood, Lord Jesus. And we, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are proclaiming Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and reign until he returns. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do. Thank you, Lord, that you lead and guide and protect and provide your people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand if you're able as we close singing in Christ alone? Okay, before we go, just a few announcements to help you. There is a quarterly men's event June 10th at 8 a.m. Join us for preaching, good fellowship, and sports tournaments. Can't wait. Uh, Vacation Bible School is coming for kids entering K through 6th grade June 19th to the 23rd. Signups are open, and it is filling up fast, so make sure you sign the kids up. Summer calendars are available again today after service with details of all the upcoming events this summer for all church type things. Uh, care packages, you can still make those on the plaza as we uh, find a way and find ways to show mercy and love to those in need around us. There's still some ingredients there to do that again as we did last week. There is a welcome lunch on next Sunday, the 21st, uh, for those new to Grace and want to learn more and meet some of our, our leaders. And then Mother's Day is today. I hope you have a wonderful day, as is our tradition. We have flowers for the moms in the plaza. 
and we have also curated four books titles for you to choose from. Uh, uh, we've chosen some really good books for you to bless you, and you can get those out on the plaza as well, and hope that the moms are honored, uh, not just today, uh, but for every day of the year. Let's pray together as we, uh, we're going to hear Jude 24 and 25, then I'll pray. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that you've given us the privilege, the gift to gather together as a church, to sing your praises, to pray, to hear the word, to be together, to celebrate your table. Pray especially for the women among us, Lord, of all ages, of all life stages, that they would feel blessed and encouraged by this assembly, that they would know that they are uniquely gifted by God, by you, to do what you have called them to do. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength they need and that we would be encouragements, that we would live together under you, reverence for you and your word, and please you in this, in this life we live. We thank you, we praise you, we love you because you first loved us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sovereign in the mountain air, sovereign on the ocean floor, with me 